Jackson grabbed Steve's shoulder and held him back. Both men stopped and listened intently. They were halfway down the last section of compartments near the bow, and there was no sign of life, crew, or otherwise. Jackson whispered into Steve's ear, and Steve checked his watch. Steve nodded. He needed to pick up the pace. Twenty minutes of searching the ship's interior had flown by, but they spent much more time on board. Five minutes later, Steve stopped. They'd reached the bow and completed their inspection of the vessel's spaces. No Vicky. It was time to get back to the stern and off the vessel before a crew member showed up and spoiled their night. Steve climbed a set of stairs and exited the superstructure on the darker, harbor side of the vessel. He waited until Jackson joined him topside. Together, they moved to the back of the ship, careful, but not wasting any time. It took three minutes to move down the steel deck to their original entry point. Before descending the anchor chain, Jackson turned and crouched down, covering their rear security while Steve pulled out a waterproof flashlight and went down on one knee. The lens was taped up, leaving a small area of lens uncovered. This allowed a limited amount of light to shine through, just enough to do the job. Steve pressed the power switch on and then off, on and then off again. He repeated this until he'd flashed the signal five times, leaving a three-second pause between each signal. The message to Seamus on the yacht was clear. No joy. No recovery of Vicky, or anyone else for that matter. They were ready for pickup. On the yacht, Seamus watched, using a pair of ordinary binoculars. They worked for this task well enough. Night vision goggles would only enhance all the backlit features of the harbor and wash out the tiny signal he was anticipating. As he scanned from the back of one target vessel and across to the other, Seamus thought he saw something. A tiny flash of light? A second later, he spotted it again and knew it was the signal. No luck for Stephen Jackson. Now it was up to the second team. Steve went down the chain first, followed closely by Jackson. The rough metal tore at their wet hands as they descended and finally bobbed side by side on the surface of the harbor. The water was colder this time. It wasn't rational, but sometimes being wet in the open air zapped the body's warmth. Confirming this observation, Steve felt a chill run down the length of his body. Jackson was tough, but he wasn't a frogman. Hypothermia was a torture device used in SEAL training to weed out the unworthy and harden those who decided to stick it out. Once students became SEALs, they slowly appreciated the use of cold water to select the men who would wear the fabled gold SEAL trident. SEALs were destined to be cold until the day they retired or left the service. According to the prearranged plan, once Seamus received signals from both teams, he would send in the rib for their pickup. Waiting was going to suck. Waiting for a water extraction always sucked. Jackson checked the time. Thirty-two minutes had elapsed since they'd exited the van. Matt and Eric had a longer swim to accomplish and a larger ship to explore. Given that, Steve estimated they'd require at least another twenty minutes before they were ready for pickup, even longer if they ran into difficulties. All he and Steve could do now was hang on to the slippery chain and play mental games to ignore what exposure to the water was doing to their core temperature. Matt moved slowly toward the light. The low-power lights in the passageway were dimmer than the light escaping the compartment on the right. It was occupied. The voices were muffled, but proof someone was on the ship and awake at this late hour. He turned to Eric, but Eric simply nodded. He'd taken in all the visual and audio information and came to the same conclusion. Matt eased up to the hatch and peeked inside. 
Three men sat around a table and played cards. Matt spotted rifles in the far corner, stacked too far away to reach, but he noted each had a magazine in place. They were ready for use. Why? Who needed firepower like that on a cargo vessel? He spotted the grip of an automatic pistol sticking out of the waistband of the nearest crew member. These guys were on guard duty. But what or who were they guarding? Matt backed up several steps and looked back at Eric. He first took his left hand and tapped his Ruger pistol. Then he held up three fingers. Eric understood the old Vietnam hand signals immediately. Three guys with weapons were in the compartment. Matt thought through the next steps carefully. He remembered the old saying that when one considered everything, the simplest answer was usually the correct one. He concluded that wherever you found guards, you'd find something worth guarding. Instead of skirting the compartment to continue their search, Matt decided on a bold plan.